0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of But God Can, How to Stop Striving and Live Purposefully and Abundantly. Written and narrated by Becky Kaiser and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I'm your host, Amber Cullen. This week, comedian Ed Wiley joins me to talk about his journey to becoming a comedian in the faith space and how his role as goat farmer and homeschool dad often buffers, or maybe I should say deflects, his political jokes. Be prepared to laugh today and also to learn a little about differing views among Christians and what it's like to navigate that as an entertainer. Before we begin this week's episode, I want to ask you to continue sharing Grace Enough podcast via text, email, and on social media. Your support is what encourages me to continue producing the show week in and week out. You can also visit graceenoughpodcast.com to financially support the show's production. Without further ado... Let's jump into this week's conversation with Ed Wiley. Good morning, Ed. Welcome to the Grace Enough podcast.
0: Oh, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be with you. I'm
1: I'm excited. Um, As most people here probably don't know, but those that are listening, I've been following you on Twitter for a while and you always make me laugh, but not just that, you have such an interesting life at home. And so I'm excited to talk to you and just dig into that a bit. And so as we get going... Tell everybody a little bit about yourself, your family, and what you do during the day.
0: Well, first of all, thank you uh, again for having me on. I'm honored when anybody uh, wants to, like, reaches out and says, hey, I want to talk to you. I'm like, well, that's rare. Nobody. Uh, So (laughs) uh, thank you for doing that. And thank you for not unfollowing me. Because I had some Kirk Cameron jokes, I think, uh, a couple months ago that were probably worthy of an unfollow. But (laughs) Anyway, no, uh, th- I, it would have made, made,
1: made me champion you more. It would have made me champion you more.
0: I mean, they were top shelf Kirk Cameron jokes, but they were hacky <laughs> Kirk Cameron jokes. That's so, right. so I think I mentioned Pure Flix. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, what what do I do? I, you know, I'm I'm wrestling with how to describe this to people. So, thank you for having me on for this counseling session. It, uh, I am a, uh, so I'm a dad of six kids. That's uh, a lot. I'm all. It is a lot of human people. Uh, I am. I'm married which is good. It's good when you have six children to be married. Um, I'm thankful for that. (laughs) Um, I am, uh, I feel like the uncle who who has just too much stuff going on, honestly, like we live on a goat farm.
1: We're going to talk about that in a minute.
0: (laughs) at least, you know, wherever you are in life today, just be thankful that you didn't make the decision to own as many as 57 goats at one point. We have fewer now, right? Wow. Yeah, we just got
1: eight chickens and I'm like freaking out about the eight chickens.
0: Yeah, you can get out of that so easy. You just have to like leave something unlocked and you're out of the chicken business. You can't. <laughs> Goats are, it's a problem. It's a real problem. So we, you know, we have that going on. And then after we moved here, which 10 plus years ago now, uh, a few years after we moved here, I started doing stand up comedy. So it's about six years ago, I guess. Uh, awesome. Well, well, it wasn't because uh, I chose I waited until we lived three hours from a major metro area uh, to start trying to do stand up comedy. So I'd finish my day job. It's another thing because I don't like you can't you can't feed your family on goats unless you're going to feed them goats. And then when you run out of goats, family's going to start. So you got to you got to have a job. I work in the tech sector by day. That's what I do. Okay. I don't tell a lot of jokes about it because it's boring. Who wants to hear spreadsheet (laughs) jokes? Nobody wants to hear that.
1: Engineers. My husband's an engineer. He would think you're totally funny.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) I do that during the day uh, because I need a job that makes money. A lot of my comedy friends, you know, they, they started when they were really young.
1: Yeah.
0: And this is all they've ever done. So they're like, Hey man, I drive, you know, I drive Uber, I'm delivering pizza, whatever. I'm super grateful that because we've kind of structured our lives. I'm the sole breadwinner, um, my wife's an RN, BSN, RN. she's super smart. Uh, she just doesn't work right now. She's at home with the kids and yep. and may go back. Um, may become a midwife at some point. That's all super- right. That's cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I, so I'm thankful for that source of income. Uh, because comedy over the last year has basically been non existent during COVID. So that's a that's a thing. Uh the yeah. entertainment industry, people whenever whenever somebody's like, the church is being persecuted through COVID. I'm like, have you seen comedy clubs right now? They're all <laughs> like, I don't know. I, it, it, I feel like that Christians in America right now, like that are complaining about what's going on they don't understand what's going on in other industries because they're still going to the grocery store and they're shopping or maybe
1: around the world. I'm like, really the Christian well, church in America is not being persecuted because you're being asked to wear a mask. I'm yeah, sorry, it's, not, you're just it's, not.
0: it's not Fox's book of martyrs. It's Fox news book of martyrs. Keep that in the podcast. I just made that up. Uh, it's not, yes. I, I mean, that's like next level, right? The, the whole world, you know, I mean, yes. what's going on in India. I work with some people in India, uh, hearing them describe what they've had to endure Mm -hmm. trying to be at home during COVID. I mean, it's just crazy. So yes, yes, from a global perspective, it's a nonsensical thing to say we're being persecuted by being asked to follow some basic public health protocols.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, But just,
0: but, but even just looking around, you can look in the entertainment sector and see just like up and coming artists who were like on the cusp who just had their first big thing released yeah. And then boom, all, you know, all just shut down. So now they're scrambling to figure out Instagram live and they're, they're really trying to keep the lights on.
1: That's so right. it's not,
0: it, it's systemic. It, it's not, it's not targeting believers. This is not a, and I, I've yet to hear an argument of how that's actually a thing. I appreciate so that,
1: you saying that actually, cause you're right. I mean, it, it's not like, oh my goodness, the big tech companies are only attacking believers, but I've heard that. And I'm like, Hmm, I, I don't know if that's true
0: no big oil well, on social media and stuff like that big big tech companies they're trying to figure out their way honestly and maybe this is the the tech nerd in me a little bit but we're 16 years deep in this this experiment of hundreds of millions of people being able to share their views with potentially hundreds of millions of other people yeah and it's going great uh, <laughs> it's this is new in world that's history. right. So what uh, there, of course there's got to be some guardrails and I know that all the big tech companies spend countless dollars and hours trying to take down illegal and garbage content. You read articles about this all the time in like in tech magazines. They they have like entire buildings with with people who manually are scanning this content and taking it down. That's been going on for years and and a lot of that is mandatory from, you know, like a legal perspective. They they have to take that stuff down. But how do you regulate where the boundary is, what constitutes fake news. I made a joke about 5G giving people the vaccine. <laughs> like, do I I can't decide whether I need should upgrade our family to 5G or just get the vaccine. Really stupid, dumb joke, hacky joke, probably similar to what other people have said. Uh but Did you get I taken got, down. I got put in Twitter jail for a day.
1: What is yeah. Twitter jail like? Tell us that. Only it's for a, a day. That's actually pretty good. I mean, yeah,
0: I spent a lot Trump of time with the goats. Trump is still in Twitter jail, isn't he? It, Trump is, yeah, Trump is, I think he's in exile. Okay. i exile. I think they <laughs> okay. sent him to like Twitter Guam or something. I don't know where he is. Twitter Gitmo. I don't oh my know. Gosh. I spent a lot of time with the goats. It was a quiet 24 hours. I couldn't, I couldn't like things, couldn't post so was it was so like
1: stoked. a little sa- it was a fourth Sabbath for you, Ed. It was a forced Sabbath.
0: <laughs> it was a forced Sabbath. Uh, I, I prefer to call it a sabbatical. It was a very <laughs> fast sabbatical. <laughs> it was brutal. Oh my goodness! But I, I'm rant. I'm taking us in too many directions here. But that's okay. I'm going to pull us
1: back. I'm pulling us back right now. So Needed. tell me this, because you you're a homeschool dad. You do all I these am. things, but you are a homeschool dad too. And so, what are the age ranges? Or the age range of your children. And what does homeschool dad life look like for you? Because see, I'm a homeschool mom. Right. And so that's doing something all the work. we hear. Right. Well, th- <laughs> but see, my kids go to a hybrid model school. So to be honest that's with awesome. you, I'm yeah. not doing any work. I'm just going to be dead honest. People are like, how do you homeschool your kids? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hybrid model schooling is not full homeschooling. Right, They come up with the lesson plan and my oldest can completely follow that lesson plan. All I got to do is administer tests and help him if he gets hung up. Right, That's it. My middle child. Now I got to instruct her a little bit, but it's more just to keep her going. Right. Like
0: on the on track. Yeah.
1: And that would, yeah. that's the case even in big school for her or, or real right.
0: school or whatever you want right. to call it. Right.
1: So what does it look like for Ed homeschool dad?
0: Oh man, that's a question. Well, I complain a lot about the cost of curriculum. Uh <laughs> it's uh so we're it is kinda, so expensive oh it's ridiculous right It's crazy it's, yeah it's nuts um but I, I joke a lot that that's you know dad that, that's the quintessential homeschool dad is they're like this curriculum costs how much what <laughs> no I have gotten I mean I'm I'm more tactical like if if Annie my wife says yeah. hey do you want to read do you, you know do you want to be in charge of, like do you want to read this series to them the little kids they're eight to our kids are eight to 19.
1: So the older ones are probably pretty independent as well. The older right?
0: ones are in college, dude. Yeah, I know they're it's in, so amazing. They're in college. The oldest two are in college. They were because of COVID. They're at, they're at a like state school because of COVID. They have been doing chemistry labs in our living room, like Uh-oh. beakers and fire and everything, <laughs> and just the typical sisters like rivalry. Uh, it's it it's actually hilarious. It's amazing. So. Oh. Uh, but and then they're taking a computer science class. So I've been able to help them with that. So that's kind of, that that's actually been cool that they've been here and not off. To, I've gotten to like tutor them a little bit with that with something that I've been doing a long time. That's cool. uh, Yeah. So it's uh, that that's that's been cool. But yeah, day to day for me is I'm I mean I'm the resource guy. Yeah. I'm like you know I'm making sure the tech is run. We have more screens in this house like and we we do we don't send them off to a co-op yet. That's on the table that's yeah. totally an option uh, we live in a really rural area so the number of like hybrid schools they can do, go to is limited but uh, that's we, we've talked about making that transition we more and more have relied on like these these online classes where people have just invested all this time to do yeah like legitimately like, really put really good material together with a really good view of the world that's not like you know, I'm trying not to pick on brands or, or colleges or names, but it's not like this myopic, uh, you know, Christian nationalist, you know, viewpoint. Yes. Did I trigger somebody on your podcast? Did I no. trigger listeners? Well, uh, you may
1: have, but most of them know at this point that I probably hold the majority of those stances as well, even though mine do some curriculum that I'm kind of always. Yeah. A lot of it is communication with your kids. Like my son, my oldest son is very cut and dry. And so whatever he reads and whatever he studies becomes very much the truth. And so we're working real hard on, okay, let's work through. What about if you come in contact with somebody who doesn't believe in seven day creationism? Well, they're wrong. Well, (laughs) yeah okay let's talk like you got to learn to think through that you can't just look at somebody and yell at them and tell them they're wrong because people have different opinions than you and so those kinds of things it's like you got to talk to your kids about it even if that is the curriculum they're going through yeah and whoo that's exhausting
0: yeah depending on the kid's temperament too because some kids are naturally more nuanced yes like we have a we have a true artist in our family like a true artist temperament who's like (laughs) yeah like i mean the chemistry like the chemistry notes has like drawings on it oh are really good um but then we have the this is this is the protocol this -hmm. is exactly what we follow and so that's that's always a challenge i mean i was i was kind of the some of both growing up so i empathize with both i empathize with the you know, when you learn something new, you kind of and you respect the, the person or the source. It's kind it's easy to make it didactic in your mind, you know, like to make it dogmatic. Dog, you know, to take that as like a didactic messenger of truth, and then you this is my dogma. I'm that's standing right. on this forever. But then I have some some more nuance. So I, I I'm empathetic with that. But yeah, that's a that's a struggle to in, like with the classes. There's some that have definitely have they teach history in a really narrow way that don't look at things like. I mean, I was raised in the South, so I didn't Mm -hmm. I didn't learn about lost cause rhetoric when I was growing up. Yeah, I didn't know that was a thing. I didn't know that that was like the the biggest rebranding effort of an event ever. Like, actually, this war was great and everybody was great. And it was about stolen honor and vow. I I didn't know this. I didn't know what lost cause rhetoric was. I didn't know any of this. Yeah, me neither. I'm trying to get our, we, my, my wife and I are trying to get our kids through just nuanced conversation, you know, in the world of, of a balanced view of history that you can love your country with all of its faults without yeah. covering over the faults and, or just omitting them. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's like a tension and a balance there.
1: There is a tension and a balance. And it's such a great time to step into that. I feel like, because. You know, we have the opportunity to kind of stop that thought process moving forward. And so um, we've certainly taken on that a little bit at home, too. Hey, Grace Enough podcast listeners. I can't wait to tell you about an amazing new resource I've found, Kaleidoscope. Their vision is so cool. They help kids and parents bridge the gap between storybook Bibles and adult translations. Adult translations are typically written at a high school level or higher, but Kaleidoscope retells every book of the Bible in beautifully designed and illustrated single volumes with the elementary aged kids in mind. Our family has some of their books and we love them. This month, they have two amazing new releases, Over the River, The Story of Joshua, And their first volume in the Minor Prophets, Sound the Alarm, written by the hysterical and talented Caroline Saunders. Go ahead and visit readkaleidoscope.com where you can take 10% off today with the code GRACE. You can also find them on Instagram at read.kaleidoscope to learn more. Kaleidoscope, the new kid in kids' Bibles. So I'm going to totally switch gears on us because we've yeah. talked a little bit about goat farming, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you, what exactly do goat farmers do? Because you said, yeah, I can't make a living doing this without a day job. Well, because I'm always like, like, what, what do goats do? Yeah. What do they provide besides milk?
0: Yeah. They, uh, fiscal, uh, losses. Um, they, <laughs> they're. They're a great way. I picked all the things that you could lose money at. Like goat farming was a good one. That's a great one to lose money at. And then comedy has been amazing for that. Uh,
1: and comedy it, like as ministry sometimes, I'm sure oh even in a better combination.
0: I mean, amazingly, I have made more money at comedy than I have at goat farming, which is amazing. That is amazing. Like I I am grateful for that. Or I've I lost mean, I less really money. don't know though.
1: Like what do goat, like what does a goat
0: uh Dude, so besides yeah, eat so, your grass well yes they do <laughs> they do browse around they get out of fences they get hurt they get worms and they get sick come on we're the delete my annie and i my wife and i are the deleted scenes from chip and joanna we will tell you the real deal <laughs> like i will talk anybody out of it it's not we didn't have a romanticized view of this when we got into it though we knew we just wanted our whole goal was we want to raise our kids in our in a a rural yeah. environment, and we had the opportunity to. We see it as a, a privilege to be able to do it. We feel like the pros have outweighed the cons. But goat farm. I mean, you you're the raising goats for meat, or for milk, or for their hair. Okay. And we're not. So we're not shearing. Are you doing any, any of goats.
1: those? You're not shearing any goats. Okay. We're not
0: shearing any goats. We are not killing them to eat them. Um, we started off milking them, and this is how this whole thing <laughs> started, started off. I used to have this joke. back, So this is, this all goes back to the goods. I used to have this joke back where I said, uh, people, people say, well, how many, you know, why do you have so many kids? I'm like, well, my wife and I signed up for this class. My, my wife and I were tricked into signing up for this class called natural family planning. And it didn't work. I don't tell this joke anymore because that's not really true. We did, we were tricked into signing up for that class. Some friends of ours took this class when, when like my wife and I were engaged and some friends of ours who were also engaged, they said, hey, you should take this natural family planning class. So we took, this was decades ago. So we took it. And midway through the class, we're like, we don't want to be old and having kids. We want to have kids right out of the gate. Mm. We just decided that. So we didn't apply any of the principles (laughs) of this thing. Really nice Catholic lady taught us. So we, we just punted on the whole thing. We went through the class, did not apply any of the things. But the joke was, You know, I was tricked into signing up for a class called Natural Family Planning. It did not work, uh, and we got into goats uh, because I was tricked by my wife into getting just a few of them, but apparently they signed up for the same class we did, uh, and they're killing (laughs) it right now, and that's how this happened. The last part of that is true. I dropped the joke because my 19-year-old, our oldest kid, if I have anything in my act that's not 100% accurate, she's like, lies, total lies, false. Not true. <laughs> so I, I'm just like, well, that's 98% of comedy. So I have struggled to make anything that I say in my act. She's holding you accountable. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to hear Yes. I don't want to, cause I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that. I'm like, gosh, the number of comedians that I know who have embellished is, I mean, it's a staggering number in the Christian market in the, or the yeah. church market uh, it's, it's the same everywhere. So we got a few goats because my wife wanted to milk them. And I was gone on business one weekend. It, no, it was mother's day. This is terrible. Like everybody that hears this is going to unfollow me after this and block me and report me or something. I was gone on business. So dad's off working or whatever, you know, mm. Annie is milking the goats. It is raining. We we did not, this was early on. We did not have the shelter so she's out in the rain milking the goats on Mother's Day. Oh, she is pregnant. <laughs> and with and an I heard, infant, no, right? At home. <laughs> uh, I think so, actually. I think there was an infant. It was all the check boxes that uh, everything, and I'm gone. I'm gone. So I, I hear about this at the end of the day, and she's milking goat number one. And then goat number two comes up kicks over that goat's feed and the milk pail and somehow annie ended up in a mud puddle it was like some kind of terrible norman rockwell (laughs) thing and that's how we stopped milking goats that's how it ended ended that night i remember the phone call i remember i think i got a text that just said something like done milking goats and i was like you mean today she's like no forever (laughs) (laughs) so so that ended and then we just basically turned we we like i think we sold some we were like a goat broker or something we salesman (laughs) yeah they'd be born and they'd be like hey you want to buy a goat you know just uh, whoever and then we we actually did that for a while we we uh had a buck a male goat you know also known as a billy a buck whatever and then we had the nannies and it was a whole thing it was the farm and we were raising them and selling them, but it just got to be too much. It's yeah. like they have morphed into pets. We have 20 goats that are effectively pets.
1: Oh, so it's really just, you take care of them. And yes. it's a good Keep them thing from for dying. the kids
0: to work it, together and learn. Yeah. Yeah. This is like, it, it's my, uh, it's my failed uncle thing. It's, it's <laughs> one of the things I spent all this time and money on. It's, it, you know, there are, there are chores, So there are chores for the kids. When people come over, it's cool. Um, There's a lot of like veterinary like stuff you have to learn because goats, despite their, I don't know who's doing PR for goats because whoever's doing PR says, you know, they're really durable. They can eat anything. That is a lie. If you look at a goat the wrong way, it dies. (laughs) It dies. They're so hard to keep alive, particularly in the Southeast where, you know, where we live, where there's a lot of rain and it's, you know, wet and swampy and stuff. So, so that's okay. it. That's, that's what goat <laughs> farmers do. That is our story. That's how we got into it. That's how my daughter keeps me accountable to never deviating from the absolute literal truth in every bit that I do. Oh my goodness.
1: Is this your oldest daughter?
0: Yeah, she's oh, the animal. Yeah. She's, she's, she's the Ellie Mae She's the Ellie Mae She loves animals. Um, she would rather spend time with the goats than any human or humans on earth. She that's loves crazy loves animals.
1: Okay. So tell me, how did you end up deciding that comedy should be a profession, something that you pursued?
0: Well, that's a great question. First, uh, first, I would preface that by saying there are a lot of, okay, there's a whole argument in the comedy world about like going full-time, jumping into full-time. What I found is that a lot of people who do that, their economic situation is different than their, their varying economic situation. So sometimes... You know, if somebody is if it's a man or a woman with a family, they may have a spouse that is kind of the breadwinner. So it gives them the financial flexibility to go do that. Our situation is a little different. So for me to jump into comedy, I can't just be like, sorry, kids, (laughs) take (laughs) care of yourself. Good luck. Uh, It's uh, it's very rare for someone to launch into comedy and to be making you know, enough to support a family in short order. I mean, it, it takes a long time. You have to bomb a lot. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a rare, there, there are a rare few who just kill it out of the gate and never, you know, and rarely have a bad show. Everybody has a bad show at some point, but there's a, a, a rare few. So that kind of context of the professional, for me, it's, it's an attitude and mindset professionally you're working at it you're working at the craft to pursue excellence and leave kind of leaving the outcome to god right yeah. it's like you can't like any other thing when you try to control outcomes you're kind of skipping over that you know um go into go into this city you're, you're kind of saying you're going to go you're going to go into this city and that city and turn a profit and and you're not even considering if the lord wills um mm-hmm. that that's just not that's not in keeping with God's spirit. So this is a thing where I, I just, I guess, my viewpoint on it has generally been, and I've had struggles with this because it's it's hard because there's so many setbacks in the entertainment industry. Do the work and leave the outcomes to God. But but my intention has always been to do it professionally, right? Yeah. So um, and don't forsake your don't like put your family on the altar. Like I just, I mean, the number of people who've men and women that I know of who have done something in in entertainment and gotten swept into that world. And I mean, in the church market, in the corporate market, in the club market, it doesn't matter what market you're in, um, who've just ended up with severe family problems. I I guess because I started older, I was kind of aware of that and I didn't want to go down that path. So when things kind of started picking up for me, and I'll go back to how I got into it in a second, when things kind of uh, started picking up for me, I made a decision to take two of my girls who really love performing, one of them sings, one of them plays a violin, and we started doing bits together and traveling around the country doing that in in churches and sometimes clubs, which was really has which has been really cool. I say was cuz I'm this last year has been really bizarre, but um, I know.
1: I feel like we're on the edge of maybe returning to somewhat normal. I do too.
0: I do too. So. I am I'm, I'm very optimistic. I got into comedy. I I'd had Friends over the years say you should try that. You should. You should do that. You should go for that. Um, and I never even considered that as an option. I thought that was something that people did after drinking too much. Uh, I didn't. I didn't know, and I couldn't imagine telling like people in the professional world or my family that I was going to do this. I had too much yeah. fear. I cared too much about what other people thought. So. Few years before I started, I had a reaction to an antibiotic that I took after stepping on a nail on the, a rusty nail on the farm, freak accident. I took a, an antibiotic called Leviquin, which is in the class of drugs called fluoroquinolones, if you're a pharmacology nerd. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had a severe reaction to it. it. You know, I couldn't even, like, you know how when you floss your teeth, you, you tie the floss between two fingers and pull. I could not do that action. Like my joints were so,
1: so it really affected like the joints,
0: every joint in my body. If I turned, <clears throat> excuse me, if I turned over in bed, it sounded like bubble wrap popping. It was wow. just, it was a severe reaction, debilitating. I could shuffle around, but I couldn't sit up without, like, I could lean against things to sit up, but I couldn't like hold myself hold. up. It so was it really bad. It affected your
1: muscles some as well then, everything. not just your
0: joints. Yeah, yeah. everything. It, it was rough. And I, you know, started to get better and then I had some setbacks and ended up getting all these tests because there's, right. th- there's no clinical treatment for, I had a reaction to a drug. And then we, then we learned that it's actually pretty common. Like people take, have, get toward Achilles tendons and have other issues related to Cipro, Levaquin and that whole class of drugs. Um, wow peripheral neuropathy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, this is not very funny. Uh, the long, longer, long. It doesn't story need is, to be
1: all funny though. I mean, this yeah. is part of your story. It's how you got into it, comedy. It, it, so that's it great. It totally
0: is. It totally is. Um, I, at some point I did have to, i spent some time in the hospital because I had some weird like heart and GI stuff that, that um, cropped up as a result of this at some point, And my heart rate would just like go up. Ugh. Like after I ate, it was always after I ate and uh they couldn't figure it out it turned out i was having maybe this will help somebody i was having esophageal spasms and it it twists when it spasms and it was pushed a cardiologist just randomly uh at some point said oh well it's probably pushing on this bundle of nerves and causing your heart rate to go up and the puzzle was solved so i like took three weeks of prilosec and that started going started getting better it's just crazy but I was in the hospital with this cycle going on. They couldn't figure out what's going on. They thought I had lost it. I'm like, they they gave me like Xanax or something. I, and I was like a really chilled out person who whose heart rate kept going up.
1: And you're like, like, this is not the problem.
0: Yeah, I'm really chilled, but my heart rate's 180 and I just oh drank gosh. water. So at some point I was in the hospital. I'd love to tell you I was reading Oswald Chambers or Spurgeon and that I was, you know, laboring before the Lord with fervor, but I was not. I was just laying there like a sack of potatoes, contemplating, am I going to get better? Better. Am I going to be able to play with my kids, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: hug my wife, go back to work? What is going to happen? And it was like, uh, this isn't really the tradition I was raised in, but it was like a a true, like um, God... Spoke. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was about bitterness that i'd had towards some people and some church situations i'd never really gone through a season where i thought i was mad at god because we'd always been in like we, we were in like home churches and stuff after some weird church ex- experiences which if you want weirder church experiences <laughs> go to a house church <laughs> if older me if somebody could just sat me down and said and all the things you think are wrong with church are going to be wrong in high church, low church. Whenever you get a group of people together, people's flesh, I don't care That's who's right. in leadership or how it's governed, people are going to figure out a way to be jerks. Yeah. You have to, you, you're a dumpster fire and everybody else in this church is a dumpster fire. Amen. And just go into it with grace. And uh, it was like in a moment, lying in a hospital bed, I was alone. God took that bitterness from me. And I could, wow. I did not realize how bitter I was. I got to the point where if I was um, like, if a buddy of mine said, Hey, I'm getting ordained as a deacon in my church, I would be like, Oh boy, well, here we go. You know, I mean, I was really I had some legit bitterness and um, God just took it from me. Wow. There's, there's no clear way to say it. As I began to unpack that. I began to see that the bitterness that I was now free from was allowing me to see people and things in different ways. And a lot of the fear I had about what other people thought about me was tied up in that bitterness. Mm -hmm. So if you care about what people think about you, you can't do stand-up comedy. Because you're going to
1: fail, you said.
0: You're going to bomb in Owensboro, Kentucky. That's why I was asking about Owensboro. (laughs) couple of years after i had a video go viral and i got booked for a show there and i hope they hear this i had two sh- i drove through the night i
1: have a couple good friends there i should be like maybe ed was at your they place were, oh well
0: if they were at this show if they were at the first show they were like that was pretty good if they were at the second one they were like that was a disaster i had opened for Anita renfro a friend who is a super super funny woman yeah. Um, super talented too. I, she's just like, I've watched her like write songs in five minutes and then go out to a crowd of thousands and crush it. She's uh, wow. but her, her, and her husband, John are, are good friends. I opened for her. I drove like an idiot through the night from somewhere in Illinois. And I had like, I slept for two hours. I got up and I went and did this show at a church. It was a Sunday morning gig. I, I was not smart enough to know that my jokes about goats cooking meth were not going to go well at a church service i had something go viral i didn't know i was just taking whatever i had i wanted to do this professionally and god was
1: getting ready to humble
0: you oh my gosh (laughs) the first service the first service was like it was like the volunteers you know it was like the people who and i have to ask it was
1: totally at a baptist church
0: wasn't it no oh it wasn't they wouldn't invite you on a sunday morning it was (laughs) no way no don't ever go to a church that would have comedy on a sunday morning um <laughs> no it was a it was a i'm gonna say it was squarely in the pentecostal tradition everybody there was very kind to me i'm gonna just i want to say that make it very clear the first service though was like they had praise and worship and it was good and then i came out and i did my thing and it went pretty good and like the sound guy the audio production i was like hey man they loved you that was great and in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, this is weird. Why are we doing this on a Sunday morning? So then the second service starts and two things happen. Number one, I'm out of energy. I'd driven all night. I'm in my forties. <laughs> I'd, I we, we were done. We did the show, you know, and then, um, and they put my mic back further from the audience, the second service, which you don't when you do comedy, you want to be as close to them as you can get. You don't, you want to have minimal distance. It, ju- it just gives you a better chance of succeeding. And I was too tired and not with it. And the third thing was a, a veteran comedy friend of mine. She told me, Ed, you know that second service is the people who were drinking last night and want, cause she, she's actually, I won't mention her name, but she's like been sober for X number of years. She's an awesome woman and uh awesome comedian but she said, you know, the, the people who were drinking last night and they want to come to church for validation, that's your second service. You got to read the crowd, man. And so when you when you got up and were doing comedy, they were like, no, we want to hear the gospel. So you should have just you should have punted and just given your testimony. Yeah, that would have been better. Oh. Um, so anyway, <laughs> but long you story longer. that's right. I didn't. I stuck with my goat meth jokes. And it was and then and then, you know, I, the video that went viral was the, the thing I did a few years ago called if trump were youth pastor, and it was seen like seven million times and people will just churches will just book you if you're funny they don't know anything about you they'll just call you they'll send your agent they don't know you could have just run over kittens with your car they don't on care. purpose they don't, they don't yes they don't check anything it's ridiculous so i go i do this the first service like i said it was great but the second one there and then when i when i you know did my very benign joke about trump uh which is trump impression and it's, it was a whole bit
1: it, it did not go, go well. well
0: oh oh that was like the nail in the coffin they were already like where's the you know where's the preaching that i came here for to make me feel better that's that's not this and then you and throw then. trump
1: under the bus and they're not having it no. Especially not in owensboro kentucky
0: no no and, and, and it still boggles my mind that i was able to travel the country doing a bit and, and really for a while there, nearly every booking I got was based, I, I received, every booking request I received was based on someone who saw that viral video. And I was able to go into conservative environments do and do a Trump impression, kind of picking on Trump. And they let you in. And paid me to do it.
1: It's amazing.
0: And, and one time it was a Methodist church and the bit goes, uh, you know, we're going to make the Methodist pay for it. So it was a Methodist <laughs> church. They actually paid for it. They they booked me and paid for it. it. Look, I did not ever intend when I started doing comedy. God took that fear away from me. I started driving to a club once a week just to work out jokes and over mic. I drive up to Atlanta a few hours away, that's usually awesome. bomb and then drive home. And then so I could, you know, be here when you know my kids woke up the next morning and uh, and in I was in your you 40s. Know,
1: that's impressive.
0: Well, <laughs> Or, or insane. I, I, I won some clean comedy competitions. I met some uh, fellow believers who comedians who worked in the church world. Yeah. One of them put me on a show in Canton, Georgia. And just by dumb happenstance, Anita Renfro was in the audience wow. and I had a good night and she reached out to me. And then I went from like doing fundraisers in front of maybe 150 people to you know, doing shows with her in front of thousands of people. It was a pretty, it was pretty crazy.
1: Okay. So tell me this, why do y'all refer to it as a bit? Is that what you call the show?
0: No. Or is it just like your bit is like
1: the portion, you know, like my Trump impersonation is a bit.
0: Yes. The latter. Yeah. So you have a bunch
1: of bits mm -hmm. together to make up one show. That's right. Okay. You're educating me. I like it. That's
0: correct. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. once you start getting paid work it doesn't matter if you're working clubs you're working corporate stuff doing cruises colleges churches it's weird they all begin with c it's weird that all the (laughs) places you can do comedy begin with the letter c but it doesn't matter where you do it (laughs) once you're a working comedian that news you you still want to go to you know open mics if you can to try to work out new stuff um, or get on a show where it's kind of clear that like it's a showcase show where there's a you know several people on it and you're trying new material that's a good place to, to do new material but if you want to do new material in a, in a show where you're getting paid to do comedy you want to bookend um, the new stuff meaning you do a bit that you know work okay then you try your new thing which could totally bomb but yeah. you know if it bombs you've got something that's tried and true that you're going to follow that with and you can bring the crowd back with that the, a crowd will give you a couple of those
1: Well, and everybody responds, not everybody responds the same anyways. I mean, I I know that with my husband, what I think is funny and what he thinks is funny are two very different things.
0: Yes. Yes. So that's
1: gotta be a hard job because sometimes he thinks things are funny and I'm like, that's just crude and awful.
0: Yeah. uh, We're, yeah, we're looking for, yeah, it's, it's hard because you're looking for those evergreen things that about 80% of the crowd is going to find funny. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, there, there are virtuosos who are just complete naturals. Like I said, you know, every once in a generation, you know, an Eddie Murphy comes along, who's killing it at the club at age 17, but it's, right. but that is very rare. I mean, even like um, I guess mainstay mainstays in the church market. Who's, you know, he's, he's kind of taken a sabbatical, but Tim Hawkins was people think of him as like a complete natural. He is just um, unbelievably prolific, but he did comedy for many, many years before he blew, really blew up around the at When, mm-hmm. when YouTube hit in the early to mid 2000s, he, he it was just like opportunity meets preparation and talent for him. Right. And he, he blew up. So,
1: and that kind of can feed your confidence too. When you get the affirmation online, do you feel like that really feeds your confidence on stage?
0: Yeah. And, and I think sometimes it can skew it. Okay, because do, being funny online is totally different in my, in my experience from being funny in, in front of a group of people. It's harder in some ways and easier in others. Yeah, I mean, you you so, some some there will be a night when a joke that has worked you know forty times in a row just doesn't work for whatever yeah, it's reason. It's so
1: interesting, isn't and you it?
0: don't know why. You just have to, and I and I've talked to people who've been doing it for and you, you what I guess what the best way to put it is the longer you do comedy you're reducing the number of potential bad audiences that you can have. So when okay. you first start, there's a larger number of potential bad audiences. Cause you just don't know how to navigate who
1: you're saying yes to.
0: Yeah. And there's like, um, even in an ideal environment, if you have like 10 ideal environments for your brand and, and your, um, content, you could just set, some of those audiences can just have a weird vibe. Like they can, it's like a, a buddy of mine who's a high school teacher. He said, you know, every audience has its own personality, like like a high school class. And yeah. it's so yeah. true. Sometimes you got I mean, there was one comedian who one time said, um, and this is a veteran comedian. He had a bad night and he, and he finished it, but he muscled through and finished his show. Never got beyond ha 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 ha, ha, ha you know. And he just told the crowd, he was like, okay, I want y'all, everybody in here, I want y'all to hold hands, squeeze hands and say, we are never going to meet together in the same place ever again, so long as we live. <laughs> good night. There are times when it, they're just not going to get you. And that's, and so this kind of goes back to, you know, getting into comedy. I, I could not have done it with the bitterness and the mm. fear that goes with that. And just, um, just being too concerned about what other people think in the worst ways. I mean, th- there's a good... There's, there's things that, you, you you know, you want to care about other people and, and listen to their views and opinions, obviously, but I'm talking about caring about what they think about your work, your performance. Right. And what you
1: feel like God has actually yes. equipped you to do.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's not. makes
1: total sense.
0: And it's too, when you start something later in life like this, people expect you to know what's going on. Mm. Yeah, there's guys and girls, men and women, you know, much younger than me, still in their twenties, who have logged more stage time. And then we started about the same time because of their life situation. So Mm -hmm. you have to just be, um, again, it's, you know, you do the work and leave the outcomes to God. If I have any other perspective, the joy in it is taken from me.
1: Well, and that's what I was going to ask you. What do you find feel is like some of the hardest parts. And you've kind of already answered that of comedy in the faith space. Is wow. it that like just
0: Well, now we're getting into the meat, though? Um, I noticed that over the because I wrote that that Trump is a youth pastor, bit. I wrote it at a friend of mine's house in 2016. I'll make
1: sure I link it so people can hear. I was it. like,
0: hey, man, did uh, did people still do lock ins? Because our church doesn't really do them. <laughs> our church doesn't do them. And I didn't know. And I was thinking I could ask, man, my friends, I have
1: such great memories from lock ins as a kid.
0: <laughs> oh gosh. Leanne Morgan has a really funny bit about lock ins.
1: Oh, I probably have I listened to that one. It's
0: edgy. It's edgy, but it's I very can't imagine
1: I haven't listened to it because anytime I'm in a real bad mood, she's where I go because I'm she like, is, I just need the last I thing.
0: can't do it. Like, just go look up Leanne Morgan. Basically, my whole pre- my my whole visit on your podcast is to promote Leanne Morgan. That is what <laughs> I wanted to do. She is so funny. I just I, I am a fan. Oh, she's awesome. I, I'm 100% a fan. I, my wife and I would go see her show in two seconds. Uh, it, yeah. it, she came to South Georgia, but her career is going well. So I don't think she's going to do that. Um, <laughs> the hardest, okay. So I began to see over the time that I was doing Trump bits and and keep in mind, impressions are just a small percentage. of my, And I'm not doing like, okay, here's my, you know, Liam Neeson or here's my Jerry. Son- I'm not doing that. I have a right. few people that I do impressions of. It's it's really Trump was, I, I don't know where I'm at with doing Trump moving forward, but um, Trump, Bush, uh, oh, Obama, Bush. Bernie, and Joel Osteen. <laughs> so the Joel Osteen thing, that just gets people telling me I'm going to hell. I mean, that's really- it, Oh it, my it,
1: gosh, it wouldn't get me. I would just love it.
0: Well, that's it's one of the two. People either love it, and I'm talking like people who go to his church. They either love it, I'm like, we think Joel would love this, or how dare you mock up mock God's called? And I'm like, aren't we all every believer? And they're like you've made fun of your husband or wife, haven't you? Like, come on. Some people down. need to
1: just chill out. Some they people need to chill out.
0: I and I'm laugh and, a little bit. Here again, I have received so many r- crazy comments online. Like you can't when you have something that goes viral, you get so much hate online, even though it's like even though it's, it's, it might be just like 2% of the comments, but if enough people see it, you're, you're like calling the trolls out of the woodwork. And I remember in 20, when, this, when that video went viral in 2017, I had people telling me that I was going to hell for making fun of God's chosen president. And I'm oh like, gosh. well, didn't it, by that logic and theology, didn't he choose every president? Mm-hmm. And then I would link to me doing impressions of Bush and Obama and Bernie because I like their voices. And I'm like, well, look, I'm making fun of everybody here. I'm looking at tone and tenor. I'm trying to pick on everybody. People
1: get crazy, man. Oh, they people
0: do. And they, they say stuff they would never say. That's the thing, is in most mm-hmm. live shows, whether it's a conservative-leaning or liberal-leaning audience on the whole, I can win people over. But online, it's like, it's like this weird isolated thing where the confirmation bias that they already have is somehow like heightened and there's not mm-hmm. th- the reaction of their peers, the, the the majority reaction of their peers isn't like tempering that. It's, yes. a, it's, a, it's a very different thing.
1: Well, as soon as something pops in your mind, you just write it. Whereas I feel like if you're in a live show, you might be thinking that, but you don't just turn to your neighbor and spout it out really quick right. or scream it out for all thousands of people who are there. to Exactly.
0: Hear it. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well stated.
1: And then you type it online and you're like, you don't think about the fact that every single person, all however many that sees this is probably reading what you wrote. Our true, our our online can really bring out your true colors. It can.
0: And the last year between COVID and um,
1: the election, the
0: election, and then the discussions around race over the summer. I mean, people have lost their ever loving minds. And I, you know, it comes down to media streams. I think that people are consuming like what, I've heard pastors say they can't compete with you know somebody comes to church they're they're there for an hour maybe two they can't compete with somebody who's watching cable news for thirty hours a week, it's just too much.
1: I agree completely. It's crazy town, um, and you're not just watching news; you're also reading online. So you're consuming yeah. news, but you're also consuming it online and in TVs. So then, would you say one of the hardest things with comedy in the face space? Is just them like understanding that you're not just taking hits at different sides of like, whether it's politics or denominations or whatever.
0: There really aren't a lot of comedians that talk about politics in the faith space that I would say pick at both sides. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Um, In the church world, and I'm going to call it the church market because it absolutely is a market as gross as that feels. It is true. It is. And I have mixed feelings about that. I think there's a really cool opportunity to bless a group of believers, like at a volunteer appreciation event or something like that by bringing in a comedian. Those are some of the most fun shows, honestly. And there's, and there's nothing wrong with having like entertainment events. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not, um, but it, it, there is, there's this weird thing that can happen with celebrity in Christian spaces. And I, 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 I don't know. I'm still I have a lot of thoughts on that that are beyond the scope of this conversation. But um, I think that there aren't a lot of number one, there aren't a lot of comedians who address political issues, race issues, et cetera, um, from like a, I'll, I will pick on everybody on this. Yeah. Usually there are church comedians who take I'm I don't know a better way to say it. They kind of take a they sound like a commentator on Fox News. Yep. That's the, It is what a, it
1: is. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's what it is.
0: It's 100% throwing fastballs to the Christian nationalist market, and I, I realize that a lot of people are Christian nationalists and don't even know what those terms mean, either from ignorance or, or just... Just read Jesus and John Wayne. Uh, yeah, that's right. I, I was reading some folks talking about that in a really long thread, and I got confused because I, I don't know how to use Twitter, and I felt like my 82-year-old father creating his 17th Facebook account, but yes... Um, yeah, exactly. So that 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 book, apparently, I've not read that book, but apparently, it captures anecdotal evidence of this mm-hmm. this thing that I'm, you know, that we're talking about with right. Christian nationalism and, and the whole mm-hmm. deal of, of intertwining the gospel, the 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 core message of Christ with
1: oh American politics, mm-hmm. yeah, American politics. politics, particularly. Yeah, exactly,
0: mm-hmm. exactly. So I think, I mean, I I, I learned how to handle these audiences in a way to disarm them. Um, I just, I, I kind of see where I could pick on these things and they knew I wasn't being cruel, mm. but I was calling some things out that were ridiculous, you know, that were worthy of being picked on. Yeah, I struggle with the efficacy of that. Like, is it really helping anybody? Mm. I think a lot of times comedians and satirists, we, we I, I just want to say we all need to calm down because it's not most people change their mind because somebody lo- who love they know loves them engages them in some way on a personal level. Yes. That's how most people who change their viewpoints do it. Mm-hmm. Or they go through some, through some kind of traumatic event in their life and it causes a, a reordering of priorities and views and beliefs and and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. but with with comedy, I mean I honestly I'm I've been talking with friends about this, I'm I'm struggling with the way forward because we, we now live in a, I mean, there are absolutely concerns that I have that I think all Christians have about, you know, certain books, not being, you know, being taken down and things like that. But I don't see this as like some huge, like uh, in the global, when viewed from the global Christian perspective, I don't see us as the persecuted in this equation. I see us, I see us as maybe being inconvenienced in some ways, I'm not saying it couldn't be turn it turn into that in, right. in, in the in the future, but I don't think we should live our lives based on fear of what might happen. I mean, I remember when Walden Books was—we were told when I went, I went, my mom put me in Christian school in sixth grade. We were told not to go to Walden Books because of something bad they did at the mall. You know, that that was my first exposure exposure to cancel culture or, or whatever was yeah. from Christian school. Yeah, it's like we championed the thing. I you know, I know. It's really weird. And I, I don't know. I, I, a lot of mixed views here. I think it's a very hard thing to balance as a comedian working in faith spaces because comedy always has a target. There's always a target. Yeah. It it is harder than ever to target everybody and talk about an issue that, that is sensitive. I mean, I'm, I, I, the majority of what I talk about is parenting marriage, having a large family you know goats. The, the, the yeah goats the litany of decisions that i've made that cause people to look at my life and go wow at least i didn't decide to do that wow <laughs> so, well you know. and i
1: was going to say earlier i mean yeah you might have to just stick to talking about parenting and marriage because most parents and most um yes. spouses we can laugh unless we've been terribly wounded at quite a few jokes right but right. but you know it, it's like you want to do you want to be true to who you are too so i can only imagine um how hard that is because the reality is sometimes Christian spaces feel the most polarized. And I say that because I'm mostly in Christian spaces, but that's how it feels. So, right. Um, okay. So I'm a George W fan and like the more I see him sneak little pieces of candy to Michelle Obama, <laughs> the more I love him, right? The older he gets, the more I love
0: him. <laughs> uh, George Bush. I think that was what I started doing. Yeah, he's great. I started doing impressions uh, as a little kid trying to uh, really get out of trouble. So I would impersonate like people my mom worked with. Uh, But George W. Bush. Yeah, that was the first impression that I think I ever did on stage as a comedian. I think the bit that I did was about him fighting terrorism by draining the ocean. Uh, So it was like, uh, you know, my plan to fight terrorism is uh, Secretary Ridge... This is a real throwback. Secretary Ridge is going to swim out to the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, dive to the bottom, and pull the plug. You See, what this will do is <laughs> it will drain all the water out of the oceans. And then the terrorists can't swim over to guess. It's an ambitious plan, but we face a determined enema. Okay, that was my big joke with some potty humor at the end. That was my big joke that I led with. Well, and
1: George W. just has the greatest voice to impersonate because it's so Texan and like it has that Southern draw and he would just say the funniest one-liners. My my husband would do stuff, basically just talk like him. And it used to crack me up. Um, So I love that you picked on him too. He is. You used to do George W. Did you get pretty good responses from that? Because there's a way you can take his voice too. And it just wasn't quite as polarized then i feel like well i guess people were angry with him i don't know but was the response to him pretty good
0: i didn't start doing comedy until obama was like, okay near the end of obama see what yeah. are we last couple of years in obama's term you know last, second term so bush had been Going he was not fly. a polarizing fi- figure anymore yeah by the everybody time loved doing, it well
1: you you either loved him or you didn't think about him
0: that's right that's right so he, he wasn't really that polarizing trump on the other hand, wow, I've had uh, college audiences that are more left-leaning literally hear the Trump voice and get up and like a few people get up and walk out. Um, and then I've had conservative audiences want to fight me in the parking lot. You know, I mean, it's it's, it's just so
1: weird to me. It's it still so weird. weird to me. And now there's so much silence. It's almost deafening now that we have yes. another president in. And I could go on about that, but I'm not going to because this is not supposed to be too political, but um,
0: as a comedian, I, I, I'm I still, I'm really leaning into more goat jokes because I don't, I don't, I do not know how to, you know, one time I, you know, one time one of our goats was just standing there. Sometimes they do weird stuff. It was just standing there bleating loudly at an electric fence. And I was <laughs> like, is that speaking truth to power? I don't know what that is. Stupid <laughs> Dad jokes like that. That's all I got. Listen, so,
1: I'm a huge dad joke fan, and I've been posting these the right just place. super yeah. cheesy jokes on Instagram, and some of my friends are like, uh-oh, Amber's taking the dad jokes, you know, by storm, and I'm like, this is the joy of having young kids, right? Because they think the jokes are so funny, funny and I'm like, yeah. nobody else needs to laugh at me. I mean, I have an audience of three right here who thinks That's that right. I am hilarious.
0: Killing it with the so. eight-
1: I won't eight ever do stand up, but I can do it for the 10, eight and five-year-old for sure. Which That's brings awesome. me to, I love that you do part of this with your family and you have videos with them and you've said you've taken the girls on the road with you before. And so as we begin to close out here, what are some of them, you know, your favorite, you all have done songs and play the guitar and done skits and different things. Uh, what would you say are some of those favorite moments with your girls doing comedy?
0: Oh gosh. Um, well we kind of had a lull before the big in in COVID before the big, um, the last big surge. And we were able to squeeze one show in, it was like a half capacity distance show. They had the audience 30 feet from the stage. It was up, um, up about an hour from Nashville with two of my buddies. It was re we we rescheduled. it. It was originally scheduled for like June. And I took, um, uh, you know, my second and third oldest kids. So Clara and Laura and, um, We closed out the show with a couple of bits we did. We sang a couple of parodies, and then, um, but my 18 year old told a couple of jokes that just crushed. And she was like, "I see why that's addictive now." (laughs) (laughs) That was super cool. That was really cool. And so that that's a recent that's a recent memory. I you know she's about to go off to college, so I'm I you know I'm excited for her, but also kind of sad that we're your yeah, first a,
1: one going.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because the oldest kid is going to stay here for college. What okay. she wants to study, she can study locally.
1: Well, and I will, I'll make sure that I link to your page so that um, people can just see some of the, those videos that you've done with the girls too, because they, I liked the homeschool. Um, I can't remember what it's titled right now, but y'all did a little song. I so enjoyed it. And probably because I'm a homeschool mom, but yeah, tell everybody where they can find you.
0: So, I have the biggest following on Facebook. So, just search Ed Wiley Comedy. I'm most active on Twitter, um, at, which is uh, Ed Wiley. I was an early entrance to Twitter. And then Ed Wiley Comedy on Instagram. Interact with me. And you can, like Amber, you can follow me there. And then if I go too far with a joke, you can unfollow me at some point. So That's right. Well, and I love
1: it because it, it takes you got to be pretty wise and witty to be able to post regularly on Twitter. Like, I don't post regularly. Um, because you know, you got to do that. And like what, 15 words or less, and I'm not near, I'm not as crafty with my uh, use of characters. And so that's why I love following you there, because you you can get that point across really, really quickly.
0: Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Absolutely.
1: Well, thanks so much for being with me today, Ed. I have really enjoyed our time together. Likewise. If you're on Twitter and need a few good laughs, I hope you'll follow Ed Wiley comedy. You can also go to slash Ed Wiley comedy to find links to the viral videos and other resources we discussed today. I'll see you back here next week for Rashawn Copeland, When God Enters Your Mess.
0: Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.